My, I have a very uh, privileged and very pleasurable role this evening. It's to introduce my good friend, uh, Drew, Mr. Drew Bellamy, uh, tonight's speaker. And uh, I'm very greatly privileged to be his host. But before I uh, tell something about him, I have some announcements this evening. So therefore, I will first start, Drew, with the announcements and then. Now, okay, starting first one, already I have announced that. Tonight's speaker is Drew Bellamy, former BSWA president, speaking about Dhamma and the dinosaurs. And uh, you're not talking about us, Drew, no? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next Friday's speaker will be Catherine Yu, early childhood education and family therapy specialist. Uh, please note that Friday night speakers during range retreat will not be live stream, so please come along in person to listen to the talks. Next one, Kusala Hermitage's entry to range ceremony is here at Dhammaloka this Sunday, 13th August from 10 a.m. onwards. Uh, number five, please join Be Quiet and KFC for some special range events on the first Saturday of each month, the next of which will be yoga with uh, Cindy on Saturday, the 2nd September, 5th September, from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. in the community hall. Uh, bring your own mat or towel. All ages welcome. There will not be any regular Be Quiet or KFC events on during rains. Number six, book fundraiser for Newbury Monastery. <coughs> there are still some books left at Bodhinyana Monastery by donation, cash only. This short run of books, The Beauty of Silence, include beautiful charcoal drawings of BSWA sites by Migara Ramanayaka, with handwritten descriptions of each drawing by Ajahn Brahm, and a handwritten introduction by Ajahn Brahmali. Uh, just if I may add a little bit, these were introduced as uh, souvenirs at the 72nd birthday of Ajahn Brahm. So please uh, be generous uh, on this. Uh, uh, supporting Newbury Monastery and also Anukampa uh, Bikuni project uh, in, in uh, London, UK, in Oxford actually, in, uh, in the UK. Number seven, during rains, the Maloka li Library will be open Friday from 6 to 7.30 p.m., Saturdays 2.30 to 4.30 p.m., and Sundays 9, uh, 9 to 11.30 a.m. only when the Dhamma school classes are on. The library will no longer be open on Mondays, both during and after rains. On Mondays, we will have a volunteer available for visits, inquiries, and memberships. Armadale Meditation Group Zoom meetings continues to meet on Tuesdays before rains with guest lay speakers. See website for details. Please see BSWA website and notice boards for details of uh, all the announcements you have just heard. Those are the announcements. Now, if I may say a li little bit about uh, Drew, and uh, this is what is given to me by uh, our commu hardworking community coordinator, Ariel. But uh, I could, without a written piece of paper, I can talk about this, but I will stick to the script <laughs> first. Um, 
Drew Bellamy is a local businessman, father, and a former president of the Buddhist Society. I think from Drew, my association with Drew, I remember him telling me that his business is technology-based business supplying uh, expertise and some products to mining industry. And uh, Drew served on the executive committee for three years up until 2018. Uh, Something which is not here, if I may add, please, that uh, I remember the, I think it was the sixth global Buddhist conference, uh, Dennis, in Perth. Uh, Drew was part of the executive group. I think Cecilia Mitra was the president, and I think Drew was the secretary, yeah. which is not <coughs> this written up. I thought it was very nicely organized, uh, very successful conference, so I thought I better mention that as well. Using his business organizational skills, Drew was instrumental in overseeing many important structural changes, which has allowed the society to thrive and maintain its position as the preeminent Buddhist center in Australia. In recent years, Drew has given a number of talks here at the BSWA on a practical, low-key, layperson approach to living the Noble Eightfold Path. So with that, I... Uh, introduce Mr. Drew Bellamy, who is tonight's speaker. So I think in the traditional Buddhist way, when the Buddha wanted to appreciate anyone, he said two or three sadhus. So we will, in the Ajahn Brahm style, we'll uh, <laughs> say three sadhus and welcome, uh, welcome um, Drew to our talk tonight. Okay, <laughs> let's give three sadhus to Drew. <laughs> sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. <laughs> Maybe wait till after the talk. <laughs> You might be booing. <laughs> Thanks for the um, great and kind introduction, Ananda. Um, you've really put me under the under pressure now <laughs> to perform. Um, so tonight's format, I'll, I'll lead the meditation. We'll do a 30-minute uh, meditation, and then I'll um, <coughs> do a 30, 40-minute maybe Dharma talk, and then we'll leave about 20 minutes for um, a Q&A on what was discussed tonight, or anything actually about Buddhism that um, you might, you might want to ask. Can everyone hear me okay? Good, excellent. Um, alrighty, Bill, we might, uh, might kill the lights, thank you. <coughs> so I'll, I'll guide you into the meditation and then probably um, let everyone be at peace and uh, once we close our eyes and relax a bit, just lead you to it. So closing our eyes and Maybe just doing a bit of wriggling and making sure that your, that your body's comfortable. Certainly in my experience with meditation, there's no need, once you've turned your phone off, to, um, to, to jump straight in. It's always worth taking three, four, five, six, ten minutes just getting, getting the body comfortable rather than struggling all the way through and not achieving any depth. So maybe in taking care of the body, we might just start with our toes. Just give our toes a little wriggle. Consider the air. And then maybe come up, see how our feet are planted on the ground, if they're comfortable. And then moving up to our calves. Maybe just giving them a little flex, seeing if there's any tension. 
can we can we have to get into our knees? Just making sure if you're a sore knee, it's in the right place. Coming up to our thighs. Just feeling them. All day they carry us around and maybe now we can be we can be aware of them as we sit down to relax. Coming up to our backside. Just making sure we're in a comfortable position. Our hands in our lap, if that's where they are. Feel comfortable. And coming to our lower back. Maybe sometimes there's a bit of pain and tightness. I'm not trying to conquer it. Just be aware of it. Coming up to our stomach. Is there any tension? Are we holding on to anything? Can we maybe just breathe out and let go of it if there's any tightness? our chest, just feeling it expand as we breathe in, deflate as we breathe out, in and out. to our shoulders, bringing some awareness to our shoulders. Is there any tension we can let go of? straight is our neck straight and coming up to our face can we feel any tension in our face are we aware of any tension around our mouth maybe in between our eyes on our forehead is it tense And then coming back, back to our nose, back to the breath, the focus of our meditation tonight, the breath. Feeling the breath in, slight pause, feeling the breath out.
breath and I take a rest. Thoughts just letting them come and go, not grasping. Focusing on the breath. Tension affecting your face. Bringing the wandering mind back to the breath. day go, letting the future go, and feeling the breath.
feeling at ease as the mind settles. if you drift along.
last few minutes before I ring the bell. Just feeling the body, feeling the knees. Being grateful for this period of relaxation. That went well. That was good. Ready for bed. Okay. Thanks for coming tonight. It's um, quite a decent crowd. I actually brought a friend with me because I thought it'd just be myself and Dennis. <laughs> But um, it's a fantastic turnout. So um, the topic of my, sorry, the title of my talk tonight, uh, which no doubt a lot of you would have seen online, and hopefully that brought you in, is um, the Dharma and dinosaurs. And you're probably wondering how there could possibly be a connection between the two. Um, but there is. So... Um, I've been pretty busy over the last few years, uh, raising a kid, phase two of my business, and um, like a lot of people went through a phase in my life where I wasn't so spiritual, meditation was sort of sporadic during the week and just very, very busy, and um, these things happen, and uh, yeah, I, I thought I was sort of losing a bit of touch with, um, with Buddhism and, and spirituality, um, and was trying to find ways to connect with Buddhism a bit more in the last few years whilst I didn't have the time to, um, to come down here every Friday night or even do nine-day retreats. That all sort of, sort of went out the window. Um, but then I discovered if you just keep an open mind and keep a bit patient, uh, there's many different ways that you can, you can approach the Dharma um, and, and um, gain some insight. And in Buddhism... 
insight leading to wisdom really is the name of the game. Um, people tend to think that if you get involved with Buddhism, it's really all about the meditation. And if you're a good meditator, then you're a good Buddhist. But not really. It takes, it takes more than that. When you first come to Buddhism, sure, the meditation, especially from a Western um, lifestyle, is very good and can be, and can be very relaxing. Uh, but there's only so far you can go with meditation unless uh, you start to develop insights. Um, and I've given a series of talks on the Noble Eightfold Path leading up to um, right meditation. Um, but certainly, once you get a bit of practice with meditation and it's working for you, you'll then find that um, you, need, you need something else. And sometimes the suttas can be a bit dry and then you've sort of heard enough talks. Um, and so then you say to yourself, well, <clears throat> how can I look at, at Buddhism in... Um, in daily life and how can I sort of do thought experiments to, to help gain this, uh, this insight leading to wisdom which will hopefully eventually get us out of here. It's not meditation that's going to get you out of here, it's, um, it's insight or, or wisdom that are the keys to exiting the burning building. So I was, uh, I've been watching the BBC 1999 documentary walking with dinosaurs with my, with my young son. And um, I first saw this in 1999, 25-odd years ago, um, when I was studying geology. And I was fascinated with the series because as, as a geologist, there's units called paleontology, and it's literally the study, the study of, the, um, of the dinosaurs. And um, at, at the time I watched it, I was interested from the scientific point of view. But then coming back 20 years later, plus, um, having some Buddhism under my belt, and I'm coming up to almost 18, 19 years now, looking at the at the Dharma, um, I saw the series in a in a in a whole new light, and um, it opened up to me how I could use something like that um, for for some Dharma contemplation, and um, it's it struck me when I was watching the series about uh, deep time and um, how far back life goes on, on this planet. And um, humans have been around for roughly, since we were naughty monkeys coming down from the tree, about 100,000 years. However, complex life, I suppose you'd call it, life that has consciousness has actually been around for 500 million years. And um, this is almost, it is impossible to contemplate in, in your mind how, how long this can be. And um, there's, a, there's a few famous analogies out there before I get into the Buddhist analogies about deep time, where uh, if you put the whole history of, of life uh, onto a 24-hour clock, um, then the existence of humanity is like two seconds before, before midnight. And um, if, you, if you think about it, um, of course, that's a long, long time, but how can you, how can you really get a grasp of it? And um, one way I was considering is that you could, you could say to yourself, all right, let's go back 100 million years. So you go back 100 million years in time to the time of the dinosaurs, and now are actually only about, of the 500 million years, are only about 125 million years span where they supposedly ruled the planet. So you, you go back in time, you go back 100 million years and you wake up and there's dinosaurs running around, there's forests and there's mountains and um, 
really there's not much going on on the planet. There's plenty of life, but actually there's plenty of suffering. And the whole purpose of life at that point is really just to eat another being. So every single life form, conscious or not, um, before humanity, the purpose was to eat another life form, whether you're a herbivore eating plants or you're in the long chain of animals or you're at the apex predator and then you die and then you get eaten by whatever, vultures. Um, so, you, so you wake up back in time and there's all this carnage and killing going on and there's, and there's absolutely no point to it and there's nowhere to go. So, okay, let's go to sleep for 100 years. And you wake up again and it's the same. The plants look the same, the animals look the same, everyone's killing everything and there's no point to it. So then you go, okay, I'm going to go to sleep for a thousand years, a million years, and you wake up and everything's exactly the same. The mountains haven't really come down any way, the plants all look the same, and um, there's nothing going on but, but killing and carnage. And um, so then you, then you wake up 90 million years later, and it's still the same. So the mountains are now looking different, the plants are looking slightly different, things have evolved, uh, the animals look slightly different, but actually they're just filling the same niche that the species before them that got extinct was doing, and now they've grown, they've grown into that niche. And, and really the whole thing um, is completely pointless, and it's been going on for, for thousands and hundreds and millions and millions of years for absolutely no purpose at all. And if, if you begin to think about things like that, it may give you <clears throat> another insight into the Dharma. So, so why would I say look at it this way? Because when you first come to Buddhism, the classic way, or the classic lesson for looking at the Dharma is um, what I guess started the Buddha in his quest, which is contemplating old age, sickness and death. Um, and if it's the most obvious Dharma contemplation you can do um, because obviously it's, it's all around us. But actually, I think it's quite difficult at the, at the beginning. Um, I know myself, if I, if I contemplate old age, so uh, I'll, I'll look at someone who's very elderly and I'll say, oh, yeah, I'm going to be like that one day. But that's one day in the future and um, I feel quite young and I'm maybe I'll look a bit younger than I should and it'll, you know, there's this denial going on that it'll, it'll never actually come your way. Um, and then it's, you know, the same for, the same for sickness. Um, I fully comprehend what being sick is like. I've been sick, I've been in hospital and all the rest of it. And at the time when you've got the sickness, you know, you're feeling sorry for yourself, you're like, oh, when I'm through this sickness, I'm really going to try much harder with my spirituality and really, and really put in the effort. And then you get a bit better and you're like, oh, maybe tomorrow. Oh, oh I'm a bit busy with work, maybe, maybe next week. And then I'll get down to Dharma Loka. Um, and then, of course, death. Death is the big one. Um, in Western society, <clears throat> you go to a funeral, and I've been to a few now, and I guess I'm going to be going to a few more unless I'm next. Um, you, go, you go to a funeral, uh, the perfect place to contemplate death, and you get there, and you're catching up with old friends. Oh, I haven't seen you for five years. How's it going? How's your business? How's this? How's your kid? How's that? And then, and then you go to the coffin for the service 
and they've got a dead person all dressed up in a nice suit, better than they've ever looked in their whole life when you knew them, um, full of makeup and almost looking like they're, they're alive. Uh, and then, of course, at the funeral service, uh, he was the best guy ever, you know, he was really generous and really nice. What? Not that I knew him like that. Um, and, and so it's sort of, it's sort of rushed over. Um, and, you know, if, if that's not working for you, and it's not really working for me so much, um, then maybe you need to look at, at, at other contemplations. And the contemplation of um, deep time is definitely worthwhile. It is worthwhile grappling with it, um, looking at it, um, doing thought experiments on it, and, and perhaps coming to the realisation that you know, deep time does exist. We are here only in our lives as humans for a very short amount of time. Humans have only been here for um, a very short amount of time. And this is a limited and wonderful opportunity to gain the keys to get out of the burning building. So the Buddha touches on um, deep time in, in a few suttas. I've just uh, photocopied two from, from home and um, I'll, just, I'll just paraphrase them. Um, so these are from the, I think it's the fourth Nikaya, the Samyutta Nikaya. Um, and there's this one sutta called uh, The Mountain and it goes like this. <clears throat> A certain monk approached the Blessed One, paid homage to him, sat down to one side and said to him, Venerable Sir, how long is an eon? An eon is long, monk. It is not easy to count. It is hard to say so many years, so many hundreds of years, so many thousands or so many hundreds of thousands of years. The monk said, Is it possible to give a simile, sir? It is possible, the Buddha said. Suppose, monk, there was a great stone mountain. Paraphrasing without holes and crevices, one solid mass of rock. And at the end of every hundred years, a man would stroke it once with a fine handkerchief. This great stone mountain might then be worn away and be eliminated, but the eon would not have ended so long as an eon monk, such a length. And we have wandered so many eons, so many hundreds of eons, so many thousands, without a discoverable beginning. For what reason, monk? Because there is no beginning and it is enough to be liberated. So, the, as I understand it, an eon is basically a, a universal cycle and um, the universal cycle is so long, which I think modern science is saying it's about 15 billion years, um, but you know the Buddha wasn't counting like that two and a half thousand years ago. Um, he's saying that one universal cycle, even if you wore a mountain down with a handkerchief, you wouldn't be finished with the, with the universe. And then in Buddhist cosmology, um, you know, the universe expands and it grows and planets come and people get born and die. And then it, and then it contracts and then the whole thing, the whole thing starts over again. Um, and, you know, if we, if we look at deep time, we look at the history of planet Earth, um, there's a very short amount of time that, if you believe in rebirth, which really you have to if you're going to be serious about Buddhism, there's a very short amount of time that you can be born into, um, I guess, a higher conscious state, like being a human being. It's certainly not the highest conscious state, um, but it's enough to begin, 
studying, contemplating. And if, if you consider this very limited opportunity that we have in the human realm where we can read and write and we're not getting killed in war every day or dying from childbirth, um, really that could give you quite a bit of motivation as you contemplate over time that um, following the Dharma and, and finding the way out of this is uh, of utmost importance because, I don't know, the way I see um, the planet at the moment, it's in a very unstable situation. In the last 500 years, the human population has quintupled or whatever from something like 200 million to 7 billion people. Nuclear weapons, global warming, all the rest of it, it's looking very, very unstable. And so we might be in... Um, uh, a shortened amount of time to um, practice the Dharma and, and, and make some sort of realizations um, to set us up for a better rebirth next time or maybe even to um, get out of here. So there's a second sutta um, where, the, where the Buddha touches on um, deep time and how much has gone before us. Uh, it's from the same, the same Nikaya. Uh, this, one's, this one's a little bit longer, so I'll just um, para paraphrase it a bit. Um, monks, this samsara, um, so that's sort of, you know, the, the, the wheel, the continual rounds of rebirths and same cycles of life, is without discoverable beginning. So if you think about the Buddha saying samsara and the wheel and it's not discoverable and the same things are going around, all you have to do is contemplate that thought experiment about going back, say, 100 million years into the land of the dinosaurs, going to sleep for a million years and waking up and seeing the whole thing is just exactly like it was before. And, you, and as an animal being reborn, you might have been reborn, um, you know, four million times or something, depending on your lifespan, and nothing's been achieved. It's all, it's all the same. So... Uh, Samsara is about discoverable beginning. Um, a first point is not discerned of beings roaming and wandering on, which in the Buddhist cosmology, if the universes truly are um, being born and dying and being born again endlessly, then of course there's no beginning. Um, in, in modern science today, you know, there's talk about multiverses, which um, are, are universes existing in, in parallel. Um, there's nothing really in, in Buddhism about it, but if that was true, then it'd make things even worse. Because um, you can't get out in, in any direction. Uh, what do you think, monks? Which is more, the stream of blood that you have shed when you were beheaded as you roamed and wandered through this long course, or the water of the four great oceans? I know, I know it's a bit, um, a bit gory, but uh, sometimes if you want to contemplate the Dharma, um, you have to contemplate the, the gory stuff as well. And... One of the good things about the Buddha was that when he gave similes and, and talked to people, he saw people at, um, I guess, different stages of spirituality and, and, and people having different aptitudes. And sometimes, you know, he'd start really basic and, and talk about just living a good moral life, um, you know, like a family life and sort of, sort of trying your best and not getting up to too much evil and mischief. And then with, with other people and audiences, he'd really drive home um, the point about about the spiritual quest. And with some people, he'd, he'd, because of their aptitude and psychology, he'd, he'd painted it in a more positive light. They tend to be the stories um, that you hear most in public. 
but with other people um, where he saw, he saw their aptitude and ability, he'd paint it in a, in a negative light. So you know, he was a good teacher because he, he basically did the horses for courses. So in this time, he's, he's being a little, bit, um, a little bit more gory to drive the point home to, to the monks. Um, and he's saying, the blood that you have shed as you have roamed and wandered this long course is more than the um, water of the four great oceans. Um, as long as you have been cows, as long as you have been goats, buffaloes, and he goes through all the different animals of the day. They wouldn't have known about dinosaurs. He's, he said that you've just lived time and time and time again, and every time you've lived, um, you've, come, you've come to a bad end, uh, and the blood that you've shed could fill, could fill the four great oceans. Um, so I did a little... Um, mathematics with a friend of mine uh, and we tried to calculate over um, just 120 million years the average lifetime of um, an average sized animal just to see if there was any any um, connection to, to this uh, that person's here tonight and um, we did the maths and I think it, it turned out um, it was a little while ago now it's something like um, if you lived in the age of the dinosaurs as an average sized um, being with an average sized life of sort of 10 years or so, uh, you would have spilt enough blood to fill, I think, a quarter of the Indian Ocean in today's terms. So um, that's quite a lot. And that, it's a bit gory, but that gives you another indication of deep time. Like, to even partially fill an ocean, that's a lot of lifetimes. That's a lo that's a lot of bodies that's been inhabited. Um, and then you know, if you calculated all the animals that have ever lived in the in the history of um, of the Earth, from the great big massive brontosauruses to the little scorpions 400 million years ago, if you calculated all them and all their lifetimes, uh, most definitely you would fill you would fill the um, the Indian Ocean many times over. I'm not sure about the rest of the planet, but um, that's that's for sure. So these experiments can be um, a little bit challenging, but sometimes, sometimes you need the challenge um, of these thought experiments and something like deep time. I mean, there's other, there's other ways you can approach the Dharma, but at the moment this, this popped up for me just as I was asked to um, a few months ago to, to give this talk. And um, certainly um, it's reinvigorated um, my... Dharmic investigation over over the last few months, and um, that's an inspiring thing because because um, you know on this Buddhist path, you can't just expect that you're going to go in this linear fashion. You're going to learn to meditate, and then you know naturally your morality is going to get better, and then you're going to have these insights, and then by the time you're 70, you're going to be you're going to be liberated. Um, unfortunately, that's not usually. Uh, the case, and there is another sutta where a monk asks the Buddha um, about how often um, someone gets the chance to to hear the Dharma, and he gave uh, the simile that if you had a um, a round wooden ring in the ocean and it was floating in the ocean, and every hundred years a turtle came up to breathe from air, then every time it came up and it happened to coincide with poking its head through the ring, that's how often a being in samsara gets to engage in the dharma. Um, 
and then from memory, I haven't got it here, I believe that the, the monk then said, how often is one enlightened? And I think that the Buddha said, um, uh, have that first scenario and then have the turtle do the same thing again and that's how often, how often a Buddha comes along. So obviously that's not very often and you, and you could look at that and go, well, it's hopeless. It's hopeless, like um, waiting for a turtle every 100 years to come up and happen to coincide with a floating ring on the ocean. I might as well give up. But not really. If you look at deep time and how many um, beings have lived and, and died and calculated all them versus the turtle putting its head through the ring, it's not, it's not quite as bad as you think. So um, there's, there's still hope out there. And um, you never know. It might be your turn to put your... or to be the turtle to put, to put the head through the ring. And um, some, yeah, something like this is all about... Um, grappling with the Dharma from, from another angle and being, I guess, being open to um, uh, if you've done enough work or you're looking to do enough work in, in the Dharma to something um, shifting you, just shifting you a bit. And, and on this path, it's definitely not a straight line and you may spend a few years struggling, fighting, banging your head against the wall, not really getting anywhere, and then boom, all of a sudden, in quick time, boom, boom, you know, there's a couple of insights, something's happened, something's opened up in your life, the karma's come through, the circumstances um, twisted into the, right, into the right format for you. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you have, you have a few wins and you think, oh, I'm really on the path now, and my meditation's going really good, and I'm getting lots of bliss. And then you find out that that's really just another, another ceiling that... Um, that you have to punch through. And um, I know that in Western circles of Buddhism, um, people can definitely get caught up a little bit in getting um, blissful meditations, um, which, can be, which can be quite nice. Um, in fact, I heard on a, um, a society retreat in Victoria that there was a, a, a businessman, uh, he, must be, he must be much richer than me, he, he went on a tree and he got a jhana for the, for the first time, lucky him, uh, and he came out of it and apparently he said to, to one of the monks down at Serpentine that was at that retreat, uh, I won't say what his name is, that um, that first time jhana for him, like the first, I guess, breakthrough of, of, of meditation, uh, once you're through the lights and all the rest of it, was worth a million dollars. And if he could repeat that again, he would go to the bank and get out a million dollars. Um, and that's nice. Um, maybe that will give us a bit of inspiration to, to um, you know, develop our spiritual practice and, and achieve a jhana. But that's also exactly uh, the sort of place where someone can get stuck. Um, and then eventually, if you know, you're not progressing on the path and you are lucky enough to get even to somewhere like that, um, you, you can sort of be a bit deluded. And the name of the game is not... Uh, magical meditations. Meditations help with stillness um, and that helps with insight and wisdom but the name of the game, the name of the game is, is wisdom which, um, which are the keys to get out of here as the Buddha said to move to, move to the other shore or um, to get out of the burning house and um, the Buddha's first ever discourse I think um, the first four words he ever said was uh, the world is on fire and um, I first heard that maybe 
15, 20 years ago and uh, I read it and thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense if you read the newspapers and whatever else. It's always just chaos out there. 20 plus years later, doing all the things I've done and just trying to cope, um, I've got a new appreciation <laughs> for that for that saying. Um, I can just see now as, as you get older and as life goes on, um, there's definitely an accumulation of of drama and, and, and problems and um, that's where if you've done some Buddhist practice for a while, even, even a little bit, it can, it can really be quite helpful in um, dealing with the inevitable material problems that are going to, um, to come your way. I, I, you know, I'm in my mid to late 40s now and I'd have to say um, there's almost no one I know in my peer group at this stage of life by now that hasn't had some sort of problem with children or divorces or bankruptcy or health or, or anything like that. And um, it really is an indication of um, where things eventually eventually head. That's not to say it's not a joyful life, um, but I tend to notice that of that peer group, those that have uh, some sort of Backing, whether it's a very strong family, in particular if they're a little bit spiritual, they tend to pull through a little bit, a little bit better. And um, you know, even if you weren't contemplating the old days, sickness and death, deep time wasn't doing it for you. Um, uh, really, you can just look at your peer group, or if you're not quite that old, a little bit into the future, and you can see, you can see what's coming. You know, and it's and it's a mixture of. Um, joy and sadness and um, definitely putting some effort into into spirituality whatever your aptitude ability and enthusiasm is it will it will pay dividends um, in cultivating some stillness and then some stability through uh, the inevitable uh, rough rough waters that are that are coming um, and even you know watching this um, this four episodes of the walking with dinosaurs with my son uh, on one hand it was such a joy um, you know, every Wednesday afternoon he'd be like, pestering me to watch it and he'd sit on my lap he's only two and a half three and you know we'd watch walking with dinosaurs and we'd snuggle in and it was such a joy it was like one of the high points of um, of my year um, so that's going on. At the same time, he's watching it as a young boy. Wow, Brontosaurus. And I'm watching it going, oh my God, <laughs> we're all in such trouble. <laughs> look, how long this is, look how long this whole trap is going on for. Um, yeah, and, and that's one of the, I don't know, the joys and gratitudes I have on the, on the spiritual path um, in, in doing the practice and its ups and downs is is sometimes these surprising situations um, of joy and sadness and insight all wrapped up into one and um, that certainly inspires me to, to um, keep going. And um, yeah, actually ever since watching that show, um, something's, something's shifted and I've gone back to uh, recently meditating twice a day, um, which, is, which is fantastic early in the morning before the sun and then a little bit at night. Um, and that's just brung a, a stillness back that I haven't had for a while. And um, 
like yes, have been neglecting because of family and work um, commitments, thinking, oh, in time we'll get around to it, I'll get around to it, but actually you don't know um, how much time you've got and um, certainly the um, increased uh, meditation and dharmic um, contemplation is now bringing me, uh, at this stage, much more joy that I'd sort of forgotten about um, than the last few years, you know, pursuing the family and, and, and material stuff, um, which is all okay. And I, I would say to you that, you know, if you're going through the same thing, maybe you haven't done something for a while, maybe you're getting into it now, um, it's, a, it's a staircase on, on the way up. And, um, you know, if you just haven't got the time at the moment and you're feeling a little bit guilty, don't feel the guilt. Try a little bit, but if you can't try too much, just wait for that time, that time to come where you can really put in um, a bit more effort. And if it's, if it's too much to get down to the society or get on a nine-day retreat, which I can only dream of at the moment, um, perhaps just wrestle with the Dharma on the way home, in the car, think about deep time, old age, sickness and death. Um, there's all sorts of stuff in the suttas about the poison arrow and um, lots and lots and lots of stuff. Um, but, yeah, you can, you, can, you can still do a bit. And even if meditation is, you know, once or twice or three times a week, like I've been a bit lately, at least that's something. At least, at least that's something and it, w and it will provide you with um, a little bit of stability and a little bit of... Um, uh, I don't know. Inspiration that you're that you're doing the, that you're doing the right thing. So that's about thirty-two minutes. I think that um, I'll I'll wrap that up there. Um, and yeah, I'm hoping that um, we can have a, a discussion on anything Buddhism and anything that we've um, we've talked about tonight. I'll open the microphone up onto the floor. It's a pity this is not live stream because usually there's a few more questions that come from um, overseas, but apparently this talk gets gets put up after we do it. Um, I think maybe the committee's a bit worried about um, some people saying the wrong thing during the, um, the range retreat, untested speakers. Um, so thank you very much. Sadhu. Sadhu, Sadhu. <laughs> the start Sadhu was much better. <laughs> Guess the talk wasn't that good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Any questions for the room? <clears throat> anything, anything at all on Buddhism, anything. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Depressing. <clears throat> it is actually. Uh, uh, what made you to uh, do that experiment? Is it to convince yourself or for your ch 
Childs later on to prove it to oh, me? Oh, um, I just, you know, I, I, I just went into the suitors a little bit when I was thinking about the time that the show had sparked me and um, in that particular suitor I read out about uh, the Buddha saying, you're animals before and you've been beheaded and everyone dies um, and you could feel the four great oceans. It just, it sounded ridiculous that you could fill an ocean with blood um, and, I, and I just wanted to test it and, yeah, you can get, you can get close enough. Um, it's, a, it's a bit gory, but you know what? If it interests you in continuing, you know, a line of investigation with the Dharma, great. You know, if you're doing that and you're not watching Dancing with Chefs or something on Channel 7, great. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, no, it's Ksenia. She's the president. Oh, jeez. No, that's fine. This is going to be um, hard hitting. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, thank you for a wonderful talk. It just <coughs> reminds, you know, this key um, Buddhist uh, teachings about sickness, death, and, uh, you know, old age. It's a very good reminder. And, um, yeah, probably um, I'll remind you of the next nine days retreat when it's coming up. It will be good <laughs> to come back to this <laughs> type Thanks. of practice. Um, just a question, how Buddhist practice help you with your professional life, professional work, business? Right. Um, okay, so I run an engineering firm and currently we're building robots because I'm silly enough to get involved in something as difficult as that. Um, I would hope that um, through some meditation and some dharmic contemplation that it brings a little bit of stillness during the working day when the when the pressure's on and that will make me a bit more kind-hearted towards um, employees who might be doing the wrong thing or you know not as frustrated with with customers um, certainly when I'm at work I it's so busy I don't sort of walk around thinking about whatever, Ajahn Brahm all day or anything like that. It's just in, it's just in the moment. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's fine as well. Um, we've been talking about deep time and I decided to tackle that, A, because I saw the show, but also because in, in Buddhism people, uh, or the Buddhists try and bring you to focusing on the present moment, which is a very good thing because so, because so many people live in the future oh, if I just get through high school and get to university, it'll be all right. Oh, if I just get married, it'll be all right. Oh, once we have kids, our relationship will be stable and then it'll be all right. Once I'm retired, then it'll be all right. Um, and it's not. It's never all right. There's always, there's always something going on. Um, so I suppose the Buddhist practice, I hope, is giving me um, more patience at, at work um, and also allows me to be in the now and not worrying so much about the future and accepting that there's only a few things that I have, I have control over. So um, I obviously have peers in, in the business world and um, I know that a lot of them who are, who are running companies and stuff, they don't sleep a whole lot. They don't sleep much. Well, there's just so much going on all the time and they're worried and they're worried and they're worried. Um, and I tend to sleep pretty well even That's though there's a lot of pressure. So, um, yeah, there's, there's um, 
value in, in following the Buddha's path in sort of the real world. And again, I would say it's not just meditation, like it's meditation and then examining the Dharma and of course hanging around the right people and sort of seeing the bigger picture um, and, and living in the now. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. very helpful. Oh no, another president. <laughs> <laughs> Give me an easy one. Yeah, no, this is an easy one, Drew, because uh, I was just um, thinking, just following on from Ksenia's question there, I wonder if you wouldn't mind to share uh, just what you, um, what happened to you when you were first getting into Buddhism and you, um, I think you were in Thailand and you had this gem of an idea that, uh, that really started maybe a lot of the, the, the business <laughs> that's going on now. Yeah. Um so I guess following the Dharma can sometimes have um, more material, real-world consequences. Uh, so I'd, I'd been involved in the Buddhist society for about four or five years, um, and then around about 2008-9, I was made uh, redundant from, from BHP. There were mass redundancies, and it was the GFC. Uh, and I didn't really have much else to do. Um, I finished off a master's at uni and then there wasn't many jobs going, so I decided to go on this Buddhist pilgrimage because I was three or four years into it and just super gung-ho. I was the guy on the cushion, I was going to get liberated, no problems. Wasn't really working. <laughs> Hit a few ceilings, I didn't quite know it. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up um, in Thailand at a, um, at a monastery um, and I was teaching English at a, at a local school for free, just for something to do, um, and meditating really hard, but not really getting anywhere. And, um, yeah, I was only sleeping probably um, three hours, four hours a night because there was so much meditation going on during the day. Um, and, yeah, I had, I had this idea, um, this I'm not an engineer by trade, I had this engineering idea um, in, in the monastery um, and then thought this could work and I, and I checked out, rolled down the hill, went to a hotel room, um, bought a laptop and started to write up my ideas to lodge as a patent in Australia. And I remember um, being, being in the hotel room and I, ca I come out of this monastery for, for foreigners and I went to the hotel room and I remember trying to lie on the bed and it was too soft and I couldn't lie on the bed and for the first two or three nights I had to sleep on the carpet, which was just on the concrete. Um, yeah, anyway, and then by a series of very strange coincidences, I, I um, met some other engineering manufacturing type people in that country and then they sponsored me and then I developed this idea with them and then I came back to Australia and then, and then um, built, the, built the company and um, unfortunately the, the pilgrimage got cut short um, um, fortunately, maybe, maybe not, I don't know, then the business went okay. Um, but yeah, that was, that was serendipitous, interesting um, fork in the road yeah, from hanging out at a monastery. So, I don't know. But be careful what you wish for. Right, now we're on a roll. Two questions at once. Brilliant. Let's keep it going. Uh, thank you. It's Drew, right? Thank yes. you very much for your talk, Drew. My it pleasure. It was uh, very motivating. Great. Um, 
And I'm saying so because, yeah, I've only come back to Buddhism maybe the last four months or five months or so, and I've noticed big change, um, but it's because of kind of some of the things you've said, like it's not like I'm doing meditation, but it's not just meditation, but it's <coughs> reading suttas, listening to talks, and putting that into practice. So things like um, trying to develop kindness and uh, generosity, you know, sila, and then um, reflecting, reflecting on your own behaviors, thoughts, etc. you know. So um, I think from your talk, something that really struck me is the, you know, the, the time experiment and, and that uh, we're so lucky to get the Dharma here now, where, you know, these people that are here, people who have come across Buddhism, so lucky with this, with this thought experiment coming back. Yeah, you really have to, I guess, believe in past lives. And then you see we've got no time to lose, you know. It's kind of like, you know, you, we've got this jewel in front of us. Use it, right? Um, buy yourself some good stuff, you know. Now, I'm curious about uh, the thing that worries me <coughs> is um, slipping away and corruption and, uh, you know, degradation. If we don't give enough effort, you know, we can slip away because it's happened to me before. I've been on the path and then I've been, thought I was getting really, going somewhere really good and then something happens in your life, as you say, you don't know what's going to happen. I don't know whether it was an illness. Actually, it was my, the birth of my son, you know. <laughs> hard, hard work. <laughs> yeah. It's hard work. So, you know, you slip away, and then if you, if you don't come back, that could be eons again in the future, you know. So uh, we've got this amazing chance right now, as you say, leave the burning building. Uh, but because I've seen benefits already with just in a few months from, from putting in effort, uh, I just also want to use your talk as a springboard and encourage everyone to keep working um, gently and kindly to yourself, you know, and uh, let's make good use because uh, there's no time to lose. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you look at Buddhism, it's only, only this time around, two and a half thousand years old. That's not a long time. And really, is, is the planet going to go, is humanity going to go for another two and a half thousand years? Is it really? I don't know. It's looking a bit unstable to me. I'd be lucky to go 500 years, maybe. Who can tell? Um, so, yeah, you can do the thought experiment into the past, but why don't you do it into the future as well? And in the past, you can go, we've had two and a half thousand. Super lucky to get that again. I better hurry up with my work. Having said that, you know, there's many monks that go down to Serpentine, put the robes on with the best intentions and they come out the other side back in civilian clothing. And if you're not ready, you're just, you're just not ready. I think the stat, some monk told me once, it's something like one in 300 monastics, I think worldwide, die in their robes. So there's a, there's a huge disrobing rate. No fault of anyone, it just, it just depends where, where you are at the time. Um, yeah, just got to put the effort in without putting too much effort in. You know, because I've, I've seen a few go a little bit crazy as well, come out the other side, 
and back into civilian life and, it, and it's, just, it's just been too much for them. So um, Buddhism's also the gradual path. Um, just keep at it. Thanks. Is there one more over here? Great. <clears throat> We've got plenty of time. Apparently we, we go to nine o'clock, but if we run out of questions before then, fine. Thank, thanks for your talk. Um, it's, it's all, all good stuff, and uh, and what humanity needs. Look, I, I was here uh, to listen to a monk speak from Thailand, and he said he took ten years to work out how to meditate properly. Huh. I don't want to spend ten years, no. and I, I don't want to go to a monastery. <laughs> Can you short on a bad meditation day? What's it look like to you? Because meditation is a big part of, of Buddhism, of, of life. Guys who can, can take a lot of pressure, meditation seems to be a common denominator. Mandela and Justin Langer. And, uh, uh, on a bad day, what do you experience? On a good day, like as far as light or as far as what, what you're experiencing when you're meditating, and, and how long would you meditate for? Okay. And any, and any tips? <coughs> yep, 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 yep. Uh, I can probably give that in three points. So, first of all, meditation is um, really only one eighth of the effort in Buddhism. You know, because there's a noble eightfold path: right thought, right view, right speech, right action, right livelihood, um, right meditation, right samadhi. Oh, oh yes. Yeah, sorry. Right effort. Yeah. Right effort. Yep. Um, so meditation is only one eighth of the path, and um, certainly it's been pretty trendy in the last the last ten years. I think it's sort of peaked now from mainstream society, and might and might just dissipate a little bit, um, you know. And if Justin Lang is doing some meditation, great, you know. If he's if he's if he's getting the word out there, great. What sort of meditation is he doing? Um, you know, if if I was a monk and I'd spent ten years in a monastery and I wasn't meditating properly, maybe that's not the thing for me at the moment. But then he practiced. Yeah, well, he might be talking about, um, like, really, really deep, deep meditations. Or give it away. He's frustrated. Yeah, that can, that, can, that, can definitely, that can definitely happen. So, look, a, a meditation on a bad day, um, and I'm not a super great meditator, really. I'm not an expert on it and I don't teach it or anything like that at all. I'm just a regular lay guy. Um, meditation on a bad day, your mind's flickering, you might, you know, you can't concentrate, you keep thinking about what mischief some family member's up to or some pressure at work or and, and you, you can't focus on the breath and meditation on a, on a good day. I mean, I'm, not, I'm in no position to talk about the real deep stuff that the, that the monks do and the jhanas and all the rest of it. Um, that's not... That's not for me to talk about. Um, but, a, you know, a lay meditation on a good day is just, um, you know it, it's just peaceful and it's deep and um, you can be meditating once you're, once you're nice and relaxed and into it. And um, for me, right, I'll start a meditation and I'm nice and relaxed and I'm only, and only, the, only hearing the breath and that's it. And I'm... And, Seemingly, minutes go by without thinking about anything. It's just the breath in, the breath out, and your mind becomes so concentrated that you're following the breath. Your body starts to sort of buzz a little bit because you're probably maybe because you're taking in a lot of oxygen. 
and you're starting to feel quite light physically um, and you think to yourself, oh, wow, you know, that was, that was like two minutes and I hardly thought of anything and I feel quite rested. And you come out of the meditation and you look around at the clock, oh my God, that was an hour and 20 minutes. That's a good meditation when it feels like minutes and it's an hour and you're, and you're rested and deep and you come out of it and you don't want to do a whole lot. You know, you just want to have a cup of tea maybe and, and, and sit around. Um, yeah. Is finding light for you, is what people talk about eyes and the light or is that? Yeah, look, those, those, thing, those things exist and if you read the suttas and go see the monks, there's like a, there's a, there's a, a map, I suppose, of um, progressive meditation that gets that gets deeper and might be able to take you places but it's not i'm not really going to talk about that tonight because i'm not any sort of authority on that um head, head down to serpentine go on a retreat that's that's where you'll get that information yeah no problems yes oh here's the here's the speaker sorry it's not a question but just you were saying about a bad day a bad meditation um I find that actually quite a, when that happens to me, that I'm actually processing and working through stuff in that, even though I haven't, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. At least I've given time yeah. for all that disruption to come forth in a conscious way. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So yes. I think, yeah, it doesn't... I think, you know, if you went, if you went on a retreat at Serpentine, I've only, I've only really done a few. It's a disgrace, really, after 20 years. <laughs> um, but... They would say there's no such thing as a as a bad meditation. There's just meditations that might be deeper and more fulfilling than than others. And and I understand what you're saying. Like, you know, you might try and meditate on a particular day, and your mind's just racing and racing and racing, and then you sort of give up after 30 minutes or something. You come out and you go, I didn't achieve anything. And did you think a whole lot about work and process it? Maybe. Did you need to really? think about it and process it is it that important maybe i'm not i'm not sure but i i understand what you're saying and even the fact that you know you've got the motivation i wouldn't say the discipline but the motivation or enthusiasm to sit down on your comfy chair at night or in the morning and have a go regularly in the same place create the space create the routine fantastic and just like everyday life there's wins and losses yeah so keep going and even when you're doing meditations and maybe they're bad meditations you're, you're actually giving yourself I would think good karma because I would imagine you're not having negative thoughts about people you're not out there doing bad actions so actually you're 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 in a good karmic state um, and especially if, if you want to start doing meta meditations loving kindness and the rest of it you know then you're generating like positive emotions for yourself and your loved ones and you know, if you do it properly the great the greater world um so yeah fantastic if you can do it great all righty thanks drew that was a really good talk and thanks everyone for um the questions as i've been coming here for a while and i find that when the monks are here people might not ask questions <laughs> so it makes me fearful of asking a question Ooh, I jump from. <laughs> I don't want to look foolish. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think the first time I came here, um, I was invited to a funeral. And I thought that was really interesting because, as you said, contemplating death, contemplating sickness, uh, those things which are part of most traditions. Um, 
so nothing really new. And I, I was raised in a different tradition, so um, <coughs> uh, multiple lives and reincarnation was not really part of my start to Buddhism. So I, I initially, as you mentioned, the Western way, just uh, took the uh, meditation and the reading, but I didn't really uh, foresee that there would come a time where I embrace it and really contemplate it. And I never thought of contemplating deep time. That's the first time I've ever heard of that. So it's very interesting, but um, excuse my aptitude. I'm not really aware of how to phrase this question. But I have a practical way of contemplating death. So I can actually contemplate death or contemplate sickness. I know how to focus on those things. If you could give maybe a practical way, because it was a little bit more abstract, uh, of how do you really contemplate deep time and the relationship to reincarnation, multiple lives, other than uh, the fact that it's uh, an opportunity that we have now? Um, you can start out watching Walking with Dinosaurs. <laughs> Go to the museum. <laughs> um, how else to contemplate deep time? Um, you, can, you can start with, if you've got any knowledge of your grandparents who might have been in World War II or something like that, and think about what was life like only two generations ago? No internet, no phones, no this, no that, no electric cars, no nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh, that was only 60 years ago. Imagine going back 600 years Maybe look at your family tree. Oh, people only lived for maybe 30, 40 years before they died in childbirth or were killed in a war or died down the coal mine. Oh, and just, and just and build it like that. Build it two generations back, six generations back, a thousand years back and, and, and keep going. Um, and in the physical world, have a, look at, have a look at geology. You go down to the beach and you say, wow, you know, these sand dunes are only 50,000 years old and humanity's only been out of the trees for 100,000 years. We've only had civilised tribal mud hut life for 10,000 years. The Egyptians were only 5,000 years ago. Actually, we haven't been here very long, very long at all and there's a long history before us. Thanks, Rana. I've always wanted to ask this question, what is Buddhism's point of view of wealth? Um, what is its point on wealth? So I gave a talk on this about six years ago, actually, a public talk. Um, so it's okay. It's okay. The Buddha, he gave a few suttas, and I think uh, one of them, from memory, we're going back now, um, he said it was the, t the ten good points of a wealthy man, or a I mean, man as in two and a half thousand years ago, but today women as well. Um, and he, he gave ten points. If, if you're going to be wealthy, and sometimes wealth can just be because of karma. Um, you know, you were particularly good for some reason in your last life or life before, and then you've been born into wealth um, and managed to hang on to it or 
um, through some stroke of luck with a bit of um, skill, you've managed to a a accumulate some wealth and have a natural talent for it. Uh, and I can't remember all the 10 points, but it's something like if you're wealthy, as long as you're generous with the money, so that's generous to your family, um, and actually in the suitors, it's funny, he says, and generous to your family, uh, your housemaids and your slaves. Um, so that was a norm back then. So if you're generous in your immediate circle, um, you're generous in the community, uh, you're generous to your local monastery, keeping, keeping them in business, um, and basically using um, the money for good purposes and also using it for your own joy. Um, so he said that there was, there was no point in accumulating this wealth if you weren't going to be happy with it yourself, within, within reason, you know, live in a half-decent house, um, wear nice clothes, uh, and continue to use the money for, um, for good use and not sort of dam it up and have it for the sake of numbers in your, in your safe or, or in your bank. Because actually money, money is not wealth. Money is, is just purely a, a symbol of wealth. It's not, the, the wealth is the house you live in, the possessions you have from a materialistic point of view. And then of course, you know, your, your relationships in the community and with your family, that's, that's the wealth. And so he's saying, use that for good use. And um, I'm sure one of the points was basically, don't be a miser. Don't be, don't be Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, yeah, so he was... And he even, gave, he even gave a suitor about how to accumulate wealth as well for those who are listening. Um, and he gave an analogy about a dam and water coming in and not so much coming out and all the rest of it. So, yeah, um, it's just a fact of life. Some people are rich, some people are poor through various reasons and circumstances and um, it's not to be shied away from. If you've got it, use it generously and wisely. That's it. Because ultimately, at the end, when you die, you have to let it go anyway. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing. Because sometimes, perhaps I'm having conversations with some people with a different mindset, but it's kind of like I've been given the perception that Buddhism sees wealth as a bad thing, like having access and all this kind of stuff, where um, I'm thankful that you said that, you know, you can do good things with money in that sense. So... Um, no, oh, thank you for sharing that. So yeah, most definitely. I mean, I know people in the Buddhist society who, who have been wealthy and helped build this hall, right? Um, donated to the monastery so we, can, so we can house monks and then the monks, you know, spread the Dharma, I suppose. Um, yeah. Um, what's your personal viewpoint on Nirvana? And Nirvana. Yeah. I haven't the got one because I haven't been there. The ultimate <laughs> aim. I mean, you must have some concept of it. Uh, <laughs> I just want to get out of the burning house. <laughs> and I assume when I get out, when I find the keys and can unlock the door before it falls in on me, it's going to be better outside the fire. Yeah, but do you see it as extinction or some ground state, unborn state beyond time, beyond... Oh, um... I would hope that it's a um, release from what I have to keep doing. Um, and I don't know, it's like 
trying to tell a chimpanzee that it has to go to high school, right? It's not going to get it. Um, but it would be an evolution for it to get there. So, that's so all that's, I know. That's your ultimate aim. So you should be, you know, you should have some idea of what you're aiming for. Um, I think it's like being an 18-year-old. You know, you get out of school and you head out into the world and you're not really quite sure what's going to be out there. You've heard a few stories and you know that it's better than being at school and stuck with your parents, so you just get out there. I think, anyway. Yeah. With regard to, say, meditation, um, you know, when you say you have these bad days where your mind's racing, that's, that's a form of insight because it's telling you where you're at. Yeah, because I'm not there. It's, it's, your, it's your ego that wants these pleasurable states, whereas um, the real point is insight, not peace. Um, insight can be achieved through, is more easily achieved through a peaceful state, I would imagine. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, you can have it. I'll take the peaceful way. <laughs> Any more? Alrighty, I guess we'll call that a night. Bang on 9.01. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for coming. I'm just going to give three bows to the Buddha, and then we're done. Thank you. Sadhu, sadhu.